All right, Ephesians chapter 5, please. Now, I'm going to continue with my series. And uh, Christ manifested. And we're looking at that in the context, as you know, of the spiritual senses. Taking the natural senses and spiritualizing them as the scripture does. So not that we're doing that, the scripture does it for us in such profound ways that it gives us great insight. And Christ, in the fact that he said, I will manifest myself to his people as we obey him, as we seek him, as we draw near to him. And Christ manifests himself in such unique ways. And as we've said, we've, we've looked at sight, having seen God, to hear God, the sense of hearing. Last week we looked at taste. And, um, and again, there was so much in that. And so we're going to look this morning at the fourth sense, and which is the sense of smell. The sense of smell. Now, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because one may be tempted to ask, well, what's the biblical significance of this particular sense, the sense of smell? It kind of, when you look at the five senses, you kind of think, well, probably this is the least significant in some, some way, you would probably say. In fact, we were speaking uh, in Brother Sam a few weeks ago, and he said, if there was one sense that I had to do without, it would be the sense of smell. At least he could still taste his food if he couldn't smell it. But, um, but nevertheless, the Bible is quite rich, in fact. And even as I began to just ponder it and, and meditate upon it over the last week and uh, study some things through, it became clear to my mind that the Bible has much to say, in fact, in relation to this particular sense, the sense of smell. And so it's extremely significant. And I want to examine it with you this morning because... Christ manifests himself through the sense of smell. And so I know when we talk about fragrances, ladies, that, you know, we can talk about all the most beautiful perfumes and uh, oils and whatever else that you could burn to create certain aromas and smells. And, uh, and I guess in certain sense, women are more in tune with some of those things than men. And um, thank God men were aftershave and there's, <laughs> there's some that don't <laughs> but deodorant at least but not the aftershave and all that stuff is not my link but I know that that's for others but nevertheless the scent the smell the aromas because people appreciate this the the the, the um the they're sensitive to these things but you see when we consider the fragrance of Christ this morning there is no composition like it. The fragrance that is released from, the God, uh, from, from God, from the Word, from Christ Himself, there is nothing that compares to this fragrance and this aroma that comes from Christ. And as we identify with it this morning, we will see the sweet smells and fragrances that come through Him, especially in His death. You know, you think of death, and you think of, you know, it's there's all the negative connotations. And the stench of death is not good. But yet, out of Christ's death, is the most sweetest of fragrances that you could possibly imagine. Remember when Jesus was born, and the wise men, they came to him, and they presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And each of those obviously has a typological meaning. The gold representing the divinity of Christ, God, the incarnation. Christ has come, but, you know, he's the son of man, but he's God in the flesh. So the gold represents his divine nature. And we'll see some of that as we look in some scripture in a moment. Then frankincense and the burning that is associated with this fragrant spice that relates to worship. And sacrifice, as we'll see in the scripture as well. And then there's myrrh. And myrrh predominantly in the ancient world is used to 
even though it was a fragrant spice and and uh, and it had uh, had certain aromas, it was um, and it was used to embalm dead bodies. And it had a tinge of bitterness that was associated with it, but it was mixed with, it had its own unique aroma. But in its purest form, it was bitter. And again, representing Christ's death. But you see the fragrances that come through, through Christ's humanity and his death on Calvary. Well, I don't want to use the phrase just yet, but the Bible is clear on these things. But not only are we considering the issue of spices and fragrances, but also even when we talk about um, the use of not just incense, but also oil, oil in the Bible. And some of the things that were in the composition of that oil in the Old Testament, the way that it was mixed together with, again, certain um, fragrances to create an anointing oil that had a particular aroma. And again, nothing was to be made like it. These are things that we begin to identify the uniqueness of Jesus Christ this morning as we consider the Calvary and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And I want to read a text because uh, you, we see it referred to in the New Testament, but really it's littered, or it's, when I say littered, it's all over the, the Old Testament. And it's the phrase, a sweet-smelling sacrifice. A sweet-smelling sacrifice sacrifice because that is exactly what it what christ is and what's more interesting is we're talking about us having christ manifested to us we're talking about the sweet smell that we are to and that aroma that we are to 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 to, uh, absorb but you know as we see the context this morning the sweet aroma first finds its expression to to god and then to us. So I want to look at this with you through the scripture. And as we look at this sense of, of smell, Ephesians chapter 2, I mean, sorry, chapter 5, verse 2. The Bible says, and walk, Paul's writing practically to the Ephesians, and he says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Christ is a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, I want to look at this as we have been. First and foremost, in the context of our salvation. And Christ in the gospel and Christ in salvation. As we, and then we move to the second part. Uh, that is to do with our own relationship to God as we relate the senses to these things. But you see, Paul here refers to Christ's love for us. And what did Jesus himself say? There's no greater love than to what? Lay down your life. And so the whole basis is sacrifice, that uh, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. God demonstrated his love for us, that he... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's something about the sacrifice of Christ and his love. And the Bible, and Paul uses the words an offering and a sacrifice. An offering to God and a sacrifice to God. But notice those words there. It says, to God. Because who is the sweet-smelling aroma for? The assumption is, well, it's for us. And in, in, in effect it is, but it is a byproduct first because it is first a sweet-smelling aroma to God before it is a sweet-smelling aroma to us. And it's understanding it and seeing it in the context of which Scripture puts it that we begin to see that the sweet-smelling aroma that Paul is referring to as an offering and as a sacrifice is to God first. And this is important because God has a sense, a spiritual sense of smell. Not in the physical that we have, but in the spiritual. And what God smells, we can smell too. But the sweetness is something to behold that is beautiful when we see it, as we will consider it this morning in the scripture. Christ. How could the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ be a sweet-smelling aroma to God? 
In Isaiah chapter 53, there's that famous chapter. And it says in verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. When you make his soul, uh, to put him to grief, when you make his soul an offering for sin. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. You see, this, the, the whole concept of that is foreign to us, but yet we're seeing something of God's love and God's uh, uh, plan of redemption. It pleased God to bruise him and to put him to grief as a sacrifice to make his soul an offering for sin. And so the whole aspect of offerings and sacrifice, as much as we know that it relates to Christ's death on Calvary in the New Covenant and in the New Testament and all that that institutes in redemption, we understand that all of this finds its roots in the Old Testament, doesn't it? All of this finds its roots in the types and the shadows that are contained by God and put there that all reveal Christ and point to Christ who would be the ultimate sacrifice. But when we consider the shadows of the types this morning in the Old Testament, we, get a, we begin to get a sense uh, to see what God means, and especially when we talk about a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. Because this is just wonderful, church, to see it. And to smell it. And it finds its expression in the types and shadows that were associated with the temple or the tabernacle of Moses, later became the temple of Solomon. And so if we're going to release the fragrance of Christ this morning, then we have to understand these, their significance. And I want to look specifically just a couple of things as we touch upon it. I can't go too deep. As I began to study it, you want to kind of dig deeper and deeper. And I just wanted to just wait back off because we can... Just go to be to keep it simple in this context. But you have the tabernacle, and remember when we God instructed Moses how to build the tabernacle and all the dimensions and and, and what it, he was to do according to the pattern. Now all the, the tabernacle itself, the tent, and all its instruments and all its uh, uh, all that it's of its components that make up the tabernacle, everything into detail is speaking of Christ in one way. And to begin, you know, you can read about it and say, oh, it's just a tabernacle. But when you see every detail of the tabernacle speaks and represents and is a type of Christ in one way, shape, or form, it makes the tabernacle alive. And so because we, we're not rejoicing in the tabernacle, that's only a shadow. We rejoice in the substance because the substance is Christ. And we see Christ in these things. But you see, there was a particular... Um, what is it? There was a particular uh, item that was called the altar of incense. The altar of incense. And the altar of incense was inside. You had the, the, the outer court and then you had the holy, um, holy place of, of the tent and then you had the, um, the holy of holies that was the, the most holy place which the high priest would enter once a year on the Day of Atonement and with the blood of the sacrifice and make atonement for sin by putting that blood on the mercy seat. But you see, the priests would have to attend daily, actually, twice daily, uh, to the, um, and go inside the, the holy place. And when they entered into this, the holy place of the, temp, of the tabernacle temple, they had on the left here, they had the, the, um, the lampstand, on the right, they had the table of showbread. And then as you went forward, before the curtain that went into the Holy of Holies, you had the altar of incense. And the priest would, uh, uh, that, that altar of incense was constantly burning. And the incense of that altar was constantly being released, which would, develop, which would produce a fragrance. But what made also this uh, uh, altar of incense unique as with other uh, aspects and instruments we find within the temple, the tabernacle, is that they were made of acacia wood. So the, the altar of incense was made of acacia wood and it was overlaid with gold. And in it, on the top of the altar of incense, there was four horns. And so these are all symbolic because the acacia wood, it was a type, again, typology was representing the humanity of Jesus Christ because Christ is that altar. He is the altar of incense. 
And so it speaks of Christ. And so the acacia wood speaks of Christ in his humanity. But then it's overlaid with gold. And that gold speaks of his divine nature and his deity and ultimately his glorification. So you have Christ, amen, who, was, who was, uh, came, born of a virgin in, in a human form. Ultimately, he's now been glorified. But then you have the, the four horns of the of the altar. And those four horns are a type of, the, well, well in a number of things, but you could probably say the, the four gospels, because the whole aspect of the altar of incense had to do with intercession, because the, the smoke that goes up from that altar is representative of intercession. In some cases, it's in the, in the Bible, you see it's the, uh, it's the prayers of the saints, the incense, which is the prayers of the saints. But in this context of the altar of incense and the smoke that would, and the aroma that would come forth from it, it was related to Christ and his intercession. And the four horns represent probably the four gospels by which we, we, we read about the life of Christ and his sacrifice and everything that he is and that he's represented. We find his sacrificial death and we find that he interceded for us through his uh, laying down his life in Calvary and all of those things. And more than that, we see in his, in, in his ministry as high priest, he is the one that intercedes for us, Amen as well so you see all of these things they tie together so each morning and each evening the high priest entered the tabernacle and he would have to burn the incense on that altar on the day of atonement when they would go into the holy of holies once a year he would offer incense as he entered and even into the most holy place, the smoke of the incense would, would, would permeate as he would go into the, into the Holy of Holies. And that cloud of smoke and that incense, which had a, a, an aroma and a fragrance that was attached to it, that cloud would also cover the mercy seat. And then the high priest would take the blood and he'd put it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and make atonement. Now we know... That all these things, because Hebrews tells us about these were all shadows and Christ is the substance. He entered into the temple itself, into heaven, to the throne in his own blood and he made atonement for our sins. So you see all these connections. But Jesus is the high priest. And it was only in the Old Testament, it was only the high priest who was called by God, appointed by God, that could offer that incense and that fire before the Lord. If anyone else tried it, they, they, were, they, they were killed, in fact. That was it, because they had to do, only one. You had to be called of God and appointed of God. And there is one, and there's only one high priest that's called according to the order of Aaron, or the order of Melchizedek, I should say, and that is Christ Jesus. He is our high priest. But Christ is the high priest. Now turn with me. I want you to look at Exodus chapter 30, if you can. We've got to lay a bit of a foundation here, so bear with me. But it's important. Exodus chapter 13, 30. And what we find here is the instructions that God is giving Moses to build the altar of incense. And in verse 34, he's talking about the incense itself that is to be be burnt. And God's telling Moses the, its ingredients. And it's a holy composition of the incense. And it's not to be replicated. He says in verse 34, And the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, staked, or steak, I don't know how to pronounce that, uncha uh, and galbanum. Gee, that's, te that's tough for an Aussie. And pure frankincense with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each, and you shall make of these an incense, a compound, according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you, and it shall be most holy for you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves, according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it, to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. 
Oh, they weren't allowed to make a... This was holy. This composition of these spices, this fragrance that was to be burned at the altar of incense was unique. It was holy unto the Lord. They were forbidden to make anything of the same compound and composition to smell it because it was something that was only for God and unique to God. And so that's how serious it was. And there, there is no smell and there's no fragrance that is to be made like it. And when we consider that these things are symbolic and type of Christ, they teach us again, there's no smell, there's no fragrance that compares to Christ this morning. Can you say amen? When we talk about that, that, that incense that, was, uh, that, that burnt before the Lord and that fragrance that God would uh, in its spiritually smell, that sweet smelling aroma that we will see, it all points to Christ. There is a fragrance that comes from Christ that is compared to no other. There's no composition like it. It is unique. It is, it is holy. Then the word we know, Jesus, you know, the word Jesus Christ, actually, the word Christ means anointed, doesn't it? So that refers to then, we talk about anointing, that Christ said we're talking about the anointing oil. And even the oil itself, the holy anointing oil, which is found in Exodus 30 again, was, it was, was there. And uh, it's interesting because the oil, in the same way, had its components. And it was made up not only, obviously, of olive oil, but that was only one aspect. There was other as uh, ingredients that were added to it. You can see it in verse 22. I won't read it of chapter 30, but it's all there. And so, again, the same way, this oil was had its own unique composition. It was not to be replicated. If anyone did, then they were to be cut off. It was holy to God, and it represented the holy anointing oil. And again, we're talking about an anointing that was upon Christ. We're talking about Christ himself. And we're talking about this anointing oil. And, and added to it was myrrh. Myrrh, again, was a, this, uh, uh, even though it had a nice aroma, it had a bitter element that was a, associated with it. And that bitterness represents something to us. Obviously, the bitterness that Christ, he died and his death. But you see, it, it's not in and of itself. That's why the cinnamon was added. It was a sweet-smelling, uh, released a sweet-smelling aroma. There was other sweet-smelling cane that was, it was uh, added to this composition. There was cassia, and, and then there was the olive oil. But when you put, added all these things together, there was a composition and a fragrance that came that was sweet to smell. Yes, it had a hint of bitterness through the myrrh, but you see, and Christ had to drink the cup of God's wrath, and that the bitterness of, uh, Father, Father, why have thou forsaken me on the cross? But nevertheless, he did it, amen, and the sweetness of that sacrifice was a sacrifice to God. And so it, 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 is, it is littered. It is the fragrance, the aroma that comes from Christ's sacrifice is sweet, despite that hint of bitterness that's attached to it. It's the sweetness that comes through. You know, we talk about the anointing oil that was pressed in order to make the unholy anointing oil. And again, it points us back to Christ, doesn't it? Remember Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane? And that word Gethsemane means to press, the oil press. Remember it was there that Jesus began to be in anguish of soul? And it was there the Bible says that he prayed and he began to sweat drops of blood because he was in such a depth of agony internally. He hasn't even yet physically gone through anything, but he knows what's coming. And now internally he's going to the cross, and he's being pressed at that moment. The oil, the anointing that flows and comes through Christ, that fragrance that was released through the sufferings of Christ. You see, the Pharisees had no idea about it. If they did, they wouldn't have crucified. Had the rulers of this world known, they would never have crucified the Son of God. But you see, God had ordained it in this way because it was going to release a fragrance that God himself calls a sweet-smelling sacrifice. You see, this brings us now back to even further or back into the Old Testament and the book of Leviticus. Now, bear with me again. It's important that we touch upon this. 
Because in the book of Leviticus, you'll know that in the first uh, few chapters, it talks about all the different offerings, right? The burnt offering, the trespass offering, the sin offering, the peace offering. And these offerings that they were to be offered. And you know that each time God instructed Moses on how these were to be uh, offered to God, and then they were to be burnt on the fire, put on the altar, and the Bible always expresses itself and says, a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. Because this is the nature. And in some instances, there was frankincense and, and, and these spices that were added to those sacrifices. And again, in, in, in encompassing that same expression, a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. But you see, when you look at all the different offerings in Leviticus that related to the children of Israel, do you know each offering typifies Christ in one way? Everything about that actually talks about and points to and reveals Christ and his atoning sacrifice at Calvary for us. And it represents it in so many different ways. But again, the point that I'm making here is that they were a sweet sacrifice for God, as, Jesus, as, as God told Moses himself, a sweet-smelling aroma. Now let me point even further, if I can, and this is, you can go here, Numbers 28. In the book of Numbers, chapter 28, I want you to see this. It was laying a foundation. It talks about the daily offerings that the priests would have to offer, and uh, in conjunction, and they would go into the into the courtyard and into the holy place and all of the things that they were required to do. Now look at chapter 28 and verse 2. It says, command, God says, command the children of Israel and say to them, my offering, my food, for my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. Now, you would think that, aren't these Israel's offerings? Aren't these Israel's offerings as they're instructed to do so? But no, God says these words. He says, my offering, my food. He says, uh, as, a, as made by fire, as a sweet aroma to me. And he says, be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. Because these, this is very significant. So you're seeing when, you, when we talk about the daily offerings, when we talk about the offerings that are related in the scripture, when we talk about the incense of, and the, the altar of incense, and, and there's much, 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 much more to all of this. But the point being, is we, we're talking about the sweet-smelling aroma that is to God. God says, it's my offering. It's my food. It's, my, it's a point, my appointed feast. It's my appointed time. So all of these things, yes, they're on our behalf. Yes, in effect, they're for us. But first, they're for God. Because God had to satisfy himself in dealing with men's sin and disobedience through sacrifice. And so when he offered and he made the provisions in this thing, we're talking about the blood of bulls and goats. But ultimately we know that it was God offered Christ himself as an offering and as a sacrifice, Ephesians says, to God, Paul says, to God. Not for us, he says to God. Because God had to pay that penalty, didn't he? So he paid it, and he paid it in full. And when the work of redemption, Jesus is a propitiation for our sins and in all that it accomplished. It was for him first before it becomes extended to us. And so when we talk about the cross this morning in the context of these things that I've just identified to you and the sweet-smelling aroma that Paul refers to. When Paul wrote that in Ephesians in our text, he had in mind all of these things and more that we've just touched on in the Old Testament. Why would he even use that expression? Because he understood, because God had revealed these things to him. So when he spoke, he was able to speak with a revelation and an understanding that all these things were fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And Christ is that sweet-smelling aroma. 
He is that offering to God and that sacrifice to God that satisfied God's wrath and, his, and, and God's uh, judgment on sin because Jesus was, was a propitiation. He died in our place. And so this is the gospel. And so this is the fragrance that God smells, the unique composition of Christ himself. And you know what the beauty is, church, is that we can smell it too. Because God's, he was the first to smell it. He was the first to smell this unique composition, this, 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 this fragrance, this unique fragrance that can only come from Christ. And we, we too in salvation, when we understand the cross, when we understand that God in such infinite love would do what he did and come as a man and be born of a virgin and go through the sufferings that he went through and the cross in Gethsemane where he was pressed and he shed his blood and he hung on the cross, all of that suffering... Tell me, what kind of a fragrance does that release to you and I? I, It's the bitterness he had to... But you know what? Even when they offered him the vinegar on the cross, he said no. Because he bore the fullness of God's judgment and penalty of sin on Calvary. And I tell you, the fragrance that comes from that cross is unique. There's no composition like it. To To the one who is saved, it is the sweetest smell you will ever smell. You know, isn't it sad? We were talking the other day about Islam and Muslims. Because, you know, to, to us who are being saved and are saved, the cross has the most beautiful fragrance that you could ever smell. You know, to Islam, it's the most offensive smell. They cannot comprehend the cross. How can God... That's why they, in their, 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 their teaching, they deny that even Jesus died on a cross. It was someone died in his place because they can't reconcile to them the smell that we smell that is sweet. To them, it's offensive. It's an off smell. We talk about the cross and the love of Christ, and they're like, oh, because they can't comprehend that God uh, would offer his own son as a sacrifice for a sin, as a sweet-smelling aroma to himself to satisfy fully the demands of the law and the demands and consequences of sin and the sin of man that was put upon Christ in which he died in our place, that we could be fully justified and have peace with God. Doesn't make sense to the world, does it? And you're right, it doesn't make sense. Why would God do that for me? But he did. That's who God is. That's the love of God. And it's a fragrance that you could never find anywhere else. It's only found in Christ. There's no composition like it. No other religious leader compares to it. And that's what we smell when we smell the fragrance of Christ's death and resurrection this morning. A finished and completed work to God's standard and satisfaction. That's when it says a sweet-smelling aroma. You know that... God is satisfied. And we are satisfied too. Hallelujah. So isn't it good that not just to not just see what we're talking about, but to smell what we're talking about this morning. We're looking at the sense of smell. And so this fragrance that comes, and I asked the question this morning, have you smelt it? Do you know the sweet scent? I've experienced that Christ died for you, that you are a a wretched sinner. Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I don't deserve to be saved. But he understood the scent and fragrance of Christ's death. And he said, I am what I am because of the grace of God. You are who you are by the grace of God. I am by the grace of God. That fragrance is unique, church. He died for me. He died for my sins. He bore my judgment. So let's move on. And I want to consider now the second aspect of our relationship with God. This fragrance, the sense of smell. You know, we're talking about it obviously in the context of salvation. But can I tell you, as a Christian this morning, as we walk with God over the journey of the Christian life, You know, Christ gets sweeter and sweeter. 
If you get older in Christ and become bitter, something's wrong. Something has gone wrong in you. And there's people out there like that, sadly and unfortunately. Because we've got to process some of the issues of life. I understand that. But you see, the more I go on in Christ, the more I see more of myself, (laughs) the more I see uh, my own shortcomings, the more I come into the reality of of who I am, and the more I see the sweetness of Jesus, and the more sweeter he is to me. And that fragrance is constantly something that I just like to just sit and meditate and just enjoy that aroma. Have you ever done that? Have you taken the time just to go out of the busyness of life, out of the rat race of life, and just get into that secret place and just smell the aromas of the gospel? Smell the aromas of the word of God. And just let those fragrances and those perf- the, 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 the aromas that are released from it, smell them, enjoy them. You know, that's what we don't do enough. I think we don't do enough, but we must. Age is to make these aromas sweeter. You know, there's a saying there, you've got to take some time out to smell the roses. Some people here grow roses like Ella. I'm sure you don't just like to look at them, you like to smell them too. Hmm. But we've got to take some time to smell the roses. And again, I'm not literally speaking, but... I mean, I don't really have interest in in flowers and things of that sort, but when it comes to the aroma of Christ, this is something that uh, we need to to grow into as well. There's an old hymn that just came to my mind when I was preparing this. It's called In the Garden Alone. And some of you might have known it. I know I've heard it sang here early, early in the years, but it says, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, no other has ever known. Do you know that place? Have you taken the time to just stroll in the garden? And just enjoy the dew that's on the roses and the, the smell that's coming forth and the sweetness of fellowship with Jesus himself. How rich it is. Do you know that? Or well, we're too busy, you know, just in life and we're just marching on that. We're not taking the time to be in the garden alone. In the Song of Solomon, remember we spoke about this last week and all the things that it touches upon, especially we looked at it in the context of taste. But listen, the Shulamite says in Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 2, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine because of the fragrance of your good ointments, the fragrance of your good ointments. Your name is as, uh, is as ointment poured forth. Therefore the virgins love you. Draw me away. The Shulamite woman is enamored with the king, the beloved. And it's again, it's a type of us and the, the church in Christ. And we are enamored with Christ. And in that we, we say, we, your love is better than wine. And then it says, because the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is as ointment poured forth. And we can be drawn away with that fragrance, the sweetness of Christ when we meditate upon the goodness of God, the grace of God, the faithfulness of God, the attributes of God. You name it. God is good. And so again, I ask you, have you been drawn away with Christ? Because we're talking about now a love relationship. That's why the Song of Solomon is about an intimacy. Do you have that intimacy with Christ, with God himself, that you can step aside, be drawn away, and just smell the fragrances of Christ? In Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1, I am the rose of Sharon, 
and the lily of the valleys. I, this, is a, this is a metaphor for Christ. I am the rose of Sharon. I'm the lily of the valley. In Song of Solomon, chapter 2, again, verse 16, it says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies. I know this all sounds a bit feminine, I get it. <laughs> but there's something rich here, church, that relates to us all. And we have to come to that place in our, in our relationship in his love. My beloved is mine, and I am his, and his banner over me is love. And, we, and he feeds us amongst the lilies. And as we, he is the rose of Sharon in his beauty, in his fragrance, in all. Christ is manifested in all of these things and how beautiful it is. See, are we coming to the garden of alone? He's the lily of the valley. You know, in the valleys of life, we feel the depths of despair sometimes as we've heard we all wrestle with different things and tr through the trials and tribulations of life oh but he's the lily of the valley the fragrance of christ at any place is always sweet doesn't matter what life dishes out what bitterness of life we have to endure and experience then there and they will be there but you see we remain sweet because we constantly are partaking of him and the sweetness of Christ. And so, again, you can identify with what I'm saying this morning. There's one last thought I want to conclude with. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And again, this is interesting. We'll just look at it because of its context. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, he says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God, now listen to that, we are to who? To God. We are to God the fragrance of Christ. That sweet smell that Christ has, uh, uh, that God has, has, uh, has it through Christ's sacrifice and offering. Now we in Christ, we too are a fragrance to God. So for we are to God the fragrance of Christ because of everything that Christ has done on our behalf. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things. Now we are to God the fragrance of Christ. You know it says in verse 15 and in fact sorry verse 14 it says through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge. That word diffuse is the word manifest. Now think about it. God leads us to triumph in Christ because that's what God always does. Amen. Doesn't matter how low we go. It doesn't matter what we have to endure. God leads us to triumph in Christ. And through us, he manifests or he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And so, again, now we see as we are partakers of him and as we are partaken of the sweetness of Christ, we are to God the fragrance of Christ. And also, in the midst of, of uh, the experiences of life and the testimony of life, the Bible says that we are to diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge in every place, to manifest it. So in other words, when, people, when, when an unbeliever looks at our lives, the Bible says we are, from one, we are the aroma of life that leads to life. They are to smell, literally, Christ in us. And but to, but to, the, to those that are not being saved... That, but to those that are perishing, it's an offensive smell. It's from, uh, it's, it's, uh, it leads to death, Paul says. But again, uh, we're talking about fragrance. And so we are sweet-smelling, and we are to be sweet-smelling. And you can only release the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ if you know the fragrance of Christ yourself. 
If you don't, then you can't. If you're not permeated in that fragrance, then how can that manifest and diffuse itself through our lives? And so God help us. That's why Paul says in verse 16, who's sufficient for these things? We don't always smell like we ought to, right? (laughs) Let's be honest. Who is sufficient for these things? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, church. And and, uh, the excellence of the power is of God, not of us. And God is working through us and he wants to manifest the fragrance of Christ through our lives, through our witness, through our conduct, the way in which we live. And though we fail and may fail many times, we can, we can, you know, God, in, and let me close with this last particular thought. Remember I said that the altar of incense and the incense that goes up is, is, is related to prayer, that incense that is released. Obviously, there's, it, and it's, we're, we're talking about Christ and his intercession. And he interceded for us as the high priest and he laid down his life at Calvary as a sacrifice. But you know, Christ is also our advocate. He is our, he is our high priest now. He's representing us now before the Father. He's praying and interceding on our behalf now. Remember, he said to Peter, and Peter, the fragrance that Peter released when he denied him, that, that was terrible. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you. And in, pray, in praying for Peter, he, he makes expression of that, and God, obviously, he is restored, and then he's on, he preaches on the day of Pentecost under the anointing and inspiration of God, releasing the fragrance of Christ. And so here we have it. It, it, it. That could only have happened because there was one who interceded for him. And that one who intercedes for him is the son one that intercedes for us. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the one, amen, that can cleanse us from all sin if we confess our sin. He is the one that can turn the, 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 what might be the, odor, the bad odours of our life, so to speak, and he can make us sweet again in him so that we can diffuse the knowledge of God. That's what we need. And we have one who's interceding for us to accomplish that. Praise God. Thank God for that. Where would we be out without the intercession of Jesus Christ? If we, I mean, thank God we're saved. But what about our walk with God? So many times we fail and we fall short and, we, and, we, uh, uh, and what, the, what the odour of our lives is not what it ought to be. But we can always get it right. The sweetness. That's why I enjoyed this testimony of our sister. It's the sweetness of Christ, the fragrance of her life, their marriage. That's what it's all about. Glory to God because there's an intercessor. Amen? That's why these things are accomplished in us. Because we have one who's representing us. We have one who's praying for us. Not only did he just die for our sins, but he's working in us. Amen? To conform us to the image of his son. And to whom he called these, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And we will be glorified with him. Hallelujah. That's a promise. In Hebrews, let me read it to you, in fact, in Hebrews chapter, chapter 7, as I conclude. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20. It says, And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath, by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Thank God. He lives to make, you know, at the point where I, de- where I deserve to be snuffed out, at the point where God can say, enough's enough. I've, 
but yet he lives to make intercession for us. And we listen to verse 26, for we have such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens. You see, we have one that has conquered. We have one who is called by God unto the order of Melchizedek. He is a high priest forever. Amen. We don't need a priest. All the different religions out there with their priests and priests. We are priests, as a brother pointed out, in Christ. And we have a high priest who is Christ himself who lives to make intercession. We don't need to go to Mary to get intercession. Oh, can Mary pray for me? Look, what? I know it's crazy, isn't it, when you think about it? Can you go to this saint to pray for me? And Like, go to Christ. You have, a, you have an intercessor. We have an advocate with the Father, one who represents us directly. You don't have to ask his mother. And I do that with tongue-in-cheek because I, I want to identify the stupidity of some of these practices because that's what they are. They're stupid. Because when you look at the beauty of this and all these false teachings, they undermine these glorious realities. That's why we get so passionate about it. We're Protestants, remember? We're not into this ecumenical movement. We're here to stand for the truth. And where it contradicts the word of God, we have no idea. Sorry, this is what God says. Because I'm not going to live that way. I've got an intercessor. I've got one who's praying for me, interceding for me. And so he is our high priest. And so though I may fail many times, he, he's always working in me. His gentleness is what makes me great. And in doing so, it enables me to release and manifest and diffuse the fragrance of Christ to those that are around us. Obviously, that's a little afterthought here but we're looking at the sense of smell, so we might as well put it in. But let's just consider what we have this morning, a sweet-smelling aroma. Christ is a sweet... His love is a sweet-smelling aroma because he was an offering and a sacrifice to God first, and we are partakers of that. Praise the Lord. Let's ask God's blessing. Father, we just thank you this morning. You are the altar of incense. You are the acacia wood. You're the gold that was was covered with. You are the horns and you make intercession. That's what the horns represent, intercession. And the incense, the prayers, it's the fragrance of Christ because Christ has done it all and he does it all on our behalf. Oh, we have such a high priest who saves to the uttermost. You've not only made provision for our salvation, but you've made provision for our glorification, Lord, that you have ordained and purposed and promised. We thank you, Lord. We glory in you. Let him glory his glory in the Lord. Because God, it's all of grace. We bless your holy name. Let us smell the fragrances of Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.